Welcome back to Building Better Basketball Season 2, the Basketball Australia Coaches Podcast. You are still very excited from the Women's World Cup. So who better to have on than not only an ex-Opal, but also someone who was on the ground in Sydney watching the games for the things that matter to coaches worldwide. It's an absolute pleasure to be joined today by Dee Butler. Dee had an AIS scholarship at 16 and made history winning the first and only WNBL championship with an AIS team. Dee, as well as representing the Opals, also played professionally in Spain and Italy, and after 13 years in the WNBL, was awarded life membership. Dee swiftly moved into coaching and has had numerous senior roles in Victoria, both at club and state level, as well as assistant coach in the Australian Under-19 Gems at World Championship level. Dee is currently at the Diamond Valley Basketball Association, and many of you will have seen her at our FIBA coaching seminar that we held in Sydney and live streamed across the world. Dee, thanks so much for being the first guest of season two and welcome to Building Better Basketball. Thanks, really appreciate you having me on here today. Dee, I talked a little bit there about your, your background and everything, which is extensive and gone all around the world from a, a very young age as well. Can you, in your own words, just tell us a bit about your basketball coaching journey off the back of your successful playing career? Yeah, well, I uh, retired, I think it was 2011 when I retired from basketball and I was pretty tired. I had a lot of injuries, and I, but I really liked the idea of coaching at some point. Um, and I think in my head, I'd given myself, oh, I'll wait two years and then step into coaching. I think it was less than six months later, and Michelle Timms rang me <laughs> and asked me to um, come down to Bulling Boomers uh, to help out coaching there. So I uh, rolled into this um, as an assistant to the Bulling Boomers. Um, state championship women's team um, and then uh, moved into head coaching uh, did that for a few years and through the course of that uh, started applying for the under 20 state team um, so I got on as an assistant coach I think that was the start of 2015 um, and that probably really elevated my um, sort of desire to keep improving and developing it was certainly something that because I had come through country Victoria uh, state program and and being able to put back and use the experience I had playing was something that I was really enjoying. So uh, I applied for, you've mentioned the under 19 Australian team um, as an assistant coach and was lucky enough to um, assist Paul Gorris uh, in 2015 when we went to Russia and uh, won the bronze medal over there, which was just an incredible experience uh, for me. And so I reapplied for the following um, campaign um, and assisted at the Asia or Asia or Oceania, sorry, the following year, and then was elevated to head coach in 2017. Uh, and then followed that through with 2019, uh, where we won silver um, in overtime to the USA. Uh, which was an amazing experience. Uh, through the course of that, um, I was also, I went to Dime Valley, which you mentioned, I was doing the state championship women there uh, and then went across to Hume or Broadmeadows um, as well. And then, yeah, this year I, I've uh, come across to Dime Valley in the NBL one program and moving forward, same thing for next year. Awesome. Um, so obviously we, we, um, we would have got you on it at some point anyway with a, a resume like that but the World Cup's just finished and you have that um, unique perspective of both having played at that level and then um, coaching at, at the international level in women's basketball. Obviously, everyone across Australia spoke that the Opals claimed the bronze medal and probably a lot more people were just even happy that LJ signed off in ways that only LJ probably could have um, scripted. Um, 
but you had a really interesting role there for FIBA. Can you tell us a little bit about um, what that was and, and how it ended up kind of playing out? Yeah, I was so fortunate to uh, be asked to be a FIBA scout. So it's probably a dream job <laughs> for, for any basketball um, fan, uh, basketball coach, um, basketball lover. And yeah, so I um, uh, that role, there were three of us uh, posted to that position uh, that essentially, um, and when you say scout, I think usually as a coach, you think about the game day ten tendencies and uh, individual tendencies and offensive structure and, and um, schemes that teams put in place. But it, it, we had a role of actually observing the style of play for every country uh, and I guess how they adapted through the course of the tournament and also then observing overall what the um, how the modern game's evolving. And I, I did this same role last year in Tokyo for the Olympics. Uh, that was my first gig in this FIBA scout role. And then to be able to do it this year, we were able to also compare the two tournaments as such, because obviously they're the elite level um, and the epitome of the women's program or women's basketball. Uh, but yeah, so the style of play was, um, I guess, the main theme and then part of my role now is I'm preparing a report um, um, with the other scouts that uh, is an overall report for the, the tournament, but then it breaks down into every country, each country about their uh, style of play, their impressions, how they travel through the course of the tournament, their key players. Uh, so you can get a real snapshot of how each federation um, and their high performance programs are, are sort of influenced by, by the, the performance and the trends that their national teams are playing. That's uh, that sounds like a just a, an incredible opportunity, Dee. And was there a trend or or a couple of trends that that you saw that you can obviously being conscious of the fact that you're still writing the report as well? <laughs> um, but was there a trend or or a couple that you saw that really surprised you in the tournament? Yeah, I, I think I surprised and also probably excited too. And I think you know, as a player too, um, you probably don't really realize until you retire just the individual skill set, um, you know, I think, oh, if I had have just really focused on this for an off season or if I really focused on that for an off season, that it would have just really flipped your ability to influence games. And I think um, seeing in terms of the individual skill set, uh, a trend that I'd certainly noticed just even changing from last year to this year was probably the improvement um, of step back threes for female basketballers and the use of it. We had a lot more um, guards particularly um, shooting step back threes and also threes off the dribble. So a lot of it was, you know, catch and shoot threes on turnouts or pull-ups in transition, but there was a lot more step back threes and pull-ups off the dribble. Uh, and also the mid-range game is back. And I think, you know, we saw glimpses of that particularly in Tokyo last year, but it was wonderful to see um, that because I think certainly when, um, you know, my era and even prior to that mid-range pull-up jumpers was was a huge thing, but then it kind of tapered out to either on the rim or, or three. So now the mid-range certainly, and I think it was really obvious the teams that had players that could do that, uh, particularly the way that they were defending middle on ball picks, there was a lot of drops defence. So being able to shoot that mid-range pull-up was really effective against that type of defence. Um, I guess probably a team trend that I saw um, or we certainly discussed was probably a lot more use of five out offense, 
Last year, it was really obvious that Japan were pretty much the only team and they were so excellent, obviously, at it. And it was really exciting to watch. And I think a lot of the coaches might have taken a little bit out of that and been a bit more courageous putting in that, especially to start an offence. There was a lot more five-out um, starts, uh, which was great to see. And I think that's also developing versatility and flexibility in post players as well, having to be outside on the perimeter, not only offensively, but also being having to defend out on the perimeter as well. Um, and... And I guess from a team aspect, the, there was a real focus on uh, physicality on disrupting dribble handoffs. And I mean, Australia copped it too, particularly in that first game, about how physical it was. And there was a real commitment from teams to be really disruptive um, on the off-ball um, or weak side, particularly, which also then exposed driving lanes uh, and there was not as much help and it sort of compromised the, the split line help for, for teams. But I think, you know, there was clear focus on that um, as a collective across the tournament. Uh, and probably the trend that did surprise um, all of us uh, in terms of coaching and whether that was by the coach or whether it was by the personnel, I'm not sure, but there was still really inconsistent, um, I guess, uh, management of late shot clock situations. And I guess for me, it is surprising because I know that... Um, you know, that's a real issue. But because the defence was so physical, uh, there was a lot of late shot clocks in for every team across the course of the tournament. And being able to manage that, it looked like there, there either wasn't structure in place or if there was, teams weren't able to execute it. So I'm not sure whether that was by design or whether it was influenced by the coach or influenced by the players or just influenced by the defence. I'm not sure. But that was surprising that there's still some some issues with the late, shake, late shot clock management. So bit of a question without notice d obviously a lot of the feedback from the commentary team who shout out to jenny and, and kimsey and um those guys were amazing and really made the, the games as well if you weren't able to be there in person a lot of them were talking about how um the referees were swallowing the whistle and the style of refereeing was very different at the the fiba events from the wmbl or or any kind of a traditional Australian basketball officiating, I suppose. Did, did that um, have a, an, did that refereeing style have an effect on the trends, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you touched on it too. The physicality was really obvious. And I think, um, you know, certainly uh, the scouts I was sitting with, um, Patrick Hunt, obviously is, it was one of them too. So he has a lot to do with the referees and, it, you know, being on the technical commission, it's been part of his life uh, through his journey of, of coaching and um, his roles with FIBA as well. And a lot of discussion was around the refereeing. And I think, you know, whether that was a conscious, I actually don't know whether that was an instruction that they had uh, to, to allow it to be more physical or whether they're happy to, and certainly in Europe, it is more physical. Um, and having played there only for, you know, a couple of years myself, but it's certainly a lot more physical. And even in the men's game, they talk about EuroLeague being a lot more physical than the NBA. Um, and obviously here in Australia, um, it's reft completely different again. Uh, but yeah, it was obvious even from Tokyo that um, this tournament particularly, I, I love it. I think it's great. A lot of people, um, you know, I think uh, have differing opinions. And I don't know also whether it's influenced somewhat by 3x3 as well, because obviously that that type of basketball is now gaining momentum. It's getting a lot more air, a lot more popular. 
Uh, and obviously that's <laughs> a bit of Roman wrestling sometimes in 3x3. So whether they're, you know, they're liking this style of basketball and allowing to get more physical, um, it will affect, I think, the skill set of some athletes. But um, hopefully I wouldn't want to see it any more physical than what it was in this tournament, that's for sure. It's um, really good lead on to our next question. Obviously, Mariana Tolo had a fantastic um, tournament for Australia and she's obviously played a lot of basketball in, in Europe and was able to adjust her game to the, the style of refereeing um, a little bit as well. Absolutely. Australia lost game one, obviously, um, but then fired back to win multiple games on the bounce on the way up to the, to the semi-final against China. Was there something that you noticed them um, changing significantly in, in a trend or was it more game to game adjustments that um, Sandy did depending on the opposition? Uh, I, I think there was a really, um, you could see there was a big change from game one to game two. Um, probably the opposition helped with that a little bit too, France to Mali, but at the same time, um, you know, that was the lowest score Australia had for the whole tournament in that game one. It was also the lowest points in the paint that we had for the whole tournament. And it was really obvious. And I talk about late shot clock. We had so many late shot clock situations against France. Uh, and a lot of our offense was on the perimeter. Um, you know, it was quite high in the court and we had nothing going towards the rim. And certainly with our post presence and Tolo and LJ, particularly banging bodies, I think there was a real, it was a clear emphasis the next day on either getting post touches or even opportunities where they're moving downhill towards the rim and being able to get points in the paint. And um, offensively, it was complete contrast to the day before. So that clearly was the focus or emphasis, even, you know, not being in the huddles or anything, but just being able to, as a spectator, watch that. Um, it was, uh, you know, and, and it certainly allowed that inside outside. We shot 55%, I think, for that second game from the three. So that allowed that rotation. And I think having that inside outside game uh, worked to our advantage. And then they were able to build on that from game to game after that. So offensively, I think there was a really big um, change of focus from those two games defensively it was really obvious um, the changes we had for the second game um, the physicality certainly improved overnight and I think players realized or Australia you would think realized that they could be a lot more physical because we got belted that first game uh, but also the we were up the floor so Australia ended up advancing getting up the floor there was defensive schemes and change-ups after foul shots they threw in zone and it was from the get-go it wasn't later in the game so uh, certainly they put a lot more emphasis on defensive change-ups from the, from the first tip-off, uh, which then obviously disrupted Bali. But I think it created urgency and created some more physicality. Um, and then I guess the, the Opals looked like they were a lot more comfortable because obviously that's, that's a brand of basketball that Australia is really proud of. Um, and they played that the next day and I think they enjoyed it. It looked, looked like they were having a lot more fun with it. So um, they were probably the two main things that I, I observed from those changes. Obviously, the, the FIBA scout role is, is very different to you. You touched on yourself when you were describing from traditional scouting as well, but also very different to traditional game day kind of the the skills that you would use as a coach um on match day and and training what are some of the the skills that you needed to call on to to do the scouting well i guess um probably just the ability to recognize changes and recognize um or being a, any a, um 
teams, how they adapted through the course of the tournament. So understanding offensive structure and understanding defensive structure, but it's also about the why and how they're doing it and what impact it had. And I think you, know, you get that from playing and you get that from obviously coaching and, and I guess being fortunate enough to coach internationally, but also play a bit of it as well. Um, you know, I was able to draw on different change-ups and it's really exciting to see how teams um, are modernising and also that they're getting influenced by the athletes that are now playing. And I think you could see there was a real clear um you know, emphasis by coaches to play structure that suited their personnel and, and they did a really good job of that. And that was certainly something um, our little team as scouts discussed through the course of the tournament. Uh, but I think, um, you know, our job was to see the general style of play and, uh, you know, we had the luxury of being at every game. So you could actually then see or compare to the day before and compare to quarters and you could, um, you know, note down and then compare to how they come out of timeouts. But you also then see them when they're, you know, in blowout games, how they play and what they like to focus on or try. And then you also get to see them in pressure situations and see what they go to or what they're comfortable with or what they rely on in those those times. And you get a real feel of then what is it that this federation or this country are really trying to to implement with their, their playing group and this is what they rely on. So you get to see sort of that snapshot and through the course of obviously the number of games we were able to see, you can get a real feel of it. And I think um, just having that ability to also then talk with the other scouts, um, you know, we all did see different things as well. Um, you know, I, you know, the um, Nelson Isley that I was working with, um, and if he's listening to this, he's 74 years old. So he's, he's much older than me, but at the same time, his basketball brain is incredible. And he's seen these athletes come through, he goes to all the junior tournaments, 17s, 19s, all the qualifying tournaments, all the senior um, uh, qualifying tournaments, the Euro, the America Cup, the everything male and female. So his understanding of, not only the individual athletes, but the coaches, their pathways, and also how the, the game is evolving. Um, he's just a walking encyclopedia of basketball. So discussions with him as well, you know, different point of view as well. Uh, me being a female coach, different point of view as well. So it was really exciting and, and being able to sort of discuss that um, with, with people that have the same desire around basketball. Um, yeah, it was really exciting. And it, we were able to then build yeah the style of play and the offensive and defensive um focus areas for each country are you able to watch just a normal game of basketball anymore d or does it just do you just start does it turn into the matrix a little bit for you uh well it, it was i found it really hard and i guess the the fever role uh, particularly you know you're impartial so i had to look at it completely um, different. I am able to switch off because obviously I have a lot of friends still playing um, and, you know, I have a, a lot of players that I'm fans of as well. And I watch, so when I watch that, I tend to get distracted and just watch parts of the game and just love the entertainment. So I actually, I, th I think certainly I am able to switch off, thank goodness. But, um, you know, and there were times I found it hard when LJ was playing and particularly <laughs> late in the tournament, I had to keep rechecking and going. It was quite obvious if any changes happened at that point of the tournament. But, um, you know, I was certainly was getting a little bit excited and, and it was difficult to contain. Yeah, it was um, <laughs> fantastic. Um, Dee, our last question, the one we ask everyone that, that comes on the podcast, um, and this might be really interesting based off some of the stuff um, that, 
that you've just um, done. If there was one coach in the world in any sport, it doesn't have to be basketball and they can be with us or, or passed on that you could ask a question to, who would the coach be and what would the question be? Well, for me, um, it's going to be a basketball coach. And I think um, I have gained a real respect uh, for the Serbian coach, Marina Malkovic. And I am so curious and interested in all the changes and strategic decisions she makes through the course of games and not only each game, but through the course of the tournament. And so my question, if I had the opportunity um, to, to meet with her particularly would be around her, the reasons for why she changes her starting um, players. And, and I know that she's had a high turnover of players from Tokyo to this year as pretty much every country, I think 10 out of the 12 were in Tokyo last year and the majority had a 50% turnover of players. Uh, but from game one, she had four different starters in game two and there were multiple changeovers of starting five. Um, and even at the end of the game, the players that were on at the end of the game, she had constant changes through the course of the tournament. So my question would be, was that um, a strategic decision for the opposition? Was it because of who she was playing or because she wanted to make it difficult to scout or was there a particular reason for that? Or was it more focused on her own team and her own players trying to create urgency or adaptability or for them to be able to deal with coming off the bench or starting or pressure situations? Uh, I'd, I'd love to know what the reason behind those decisions would be, um, not only as a basketball fan, but also as a coach myself because I think, you know, I, th I have a lot of respect. I think she's outstanding. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see, particularly the young players she's coming through, how that will affect them moving forward, whether it's building resilience or not. She has a fascinating backstory as well that I was captured by, obviously, her fashion sense yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is um, different from what you would expect from a traditional coach. And then her, her hairstyle, whether it's natural or with product, is, is something to behold. And then but her, her actual basketball story of she started coaching as like because her dad was a coach and she was supporting him and now she's um gone on to to take the the top job herself and it's uh it, again basketball um tactics and styles separate to her personality they're both um equally fascinating um Dee thank you so much I think we're really lucky that you, you've been able to share that with us because I'm sure there's the, the, the thousands of people that we have listening to each episode I think will hopefully all have watched the Opals games themselves and will really take um, something away from everything that you've said um, with regards to how they viewed the game and, and how you viewed it and really cement some of the, the takeaways that they had so thank you so much good luck with um, all your uh, stuff with Diamond Valley this year and, and finishing writing up your report with FIBA. And um, yeah, just um, uh, before I sign off, just want to encourage everyone uh, that enjoyed the World Cup or has a passion for um, women's basketball in Australia or even worldwide for some of our listeners to, to jump onto shehoops.com.au, which is the new Basketball Australia initiative for um, coaches, referees, administrators, every um, role that you can think of for women and girls in basketball to help us create more um, female coaches like Dee and, and players like um, LJ and the Magnificent Opals. So um, thank you again so much, Dee, and um, good luck for the upcoming season. Thanks, Neil. Really appreciate it.
opportunities 